This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you have heard me talk about dukigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. So I'm a Duke Brand FC member, brand ambassador, and received a gift from them recently that is a complete game changer. They've actually developed a waterproof notebook that will change your life. I had the opportunity to actually use this product last weekend and truly unbelievable in the execution in the um, just the delivery of the product. I can't say enough good things about it. If you go to duketigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and upon checkout, use my promo code broadwater19, I can save you 10% on your next order at checkout. duketigbrand.com, promo code broadwater19. Previous guest on this show, uh, Matt Danher, was kind enough to connect me to our guest in this episode. Uh, so, Stu Singer has worked as a sports psychology and performance consultant for the WNBA's Washington Mystics, University of Maryland women's basketball team, Fordham University women's basketball team, and the Connecticut Sun, among others. Stu served an integral role in helping the University of Maryland women's basketball team reach back-to-back Final Fours in Fordham University women's basketball in winning their first Atlantic 10 championship, receiving an NCAA tournament bid and their best record in 20 years. His approach focuses on teaching and providing mental health performance skills for athletes that have the pressures of competing at elite levels in high school, college, and professional sports. Stu also provides team trainings, clinics, and consultation with coaches on how to develop healthy and effective mental health performance fundamentals for their athletes. Coaching psychology and sports psychology is one of the areas of our game that I absolutely love. And one of the two sports that Stu has spent time um, navigating and helping athletes in, uh, among others. So football slash soccer and basketball. So Stu completed his doctor of psychology coursework at the University of the Rockies, specializing in sport and performance psychology. He's a professional member of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. He received his master in education in counseling from Shippensburg University. Uh, Stu and I bonded because he is also a Pennsylvania guy uh, growing up in central PA. So John Townsend and I had the chance to interview Stu recently. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the On the Touchline podcast with our guest, Stu Singer of Well Performance. big fan of your work and a big fan of um i share often uh, on social media and i you know if if someone would have asked me this uh 20 years ago i probably would have laughed but um just how important mental health has become in my life and um you know i i am not ashamed to admit that uh, you know, in my journey, um, that I've worked with a therapist on two different occasions and I'm currently working with somebody. And, um, honestly, one of the best decisions I ever made as a coach to get to a place of really knowing myself. And, um, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those things and, yeah, um, uh, the, the whole childhood piece, um, is something I definitely want to touch on at some point, but, um, Stu, tell folks a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, where you grew up and sort of what drove you to, uh, to get into sports psychology, uh, as a profession. So, um, as we were kind of talking a little bit earlier, uh, I actually grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And, um, and so not too, too far from you guys. Um, and uh, um, my family owned 
uh, a, a sporting goods store. So picture back uh, back in the day where they were actually mom and pop type of shops and, and we sold literally everything into every team, every youth organization, every school, um, every sport. Uh, so I, I, you know, I definitely grew up in a, in a home where sports was, you know, basically everything, <laughs> literally to, to even our livelihood. Um, I had an older, well, I have an older brother that's 10 years older than me and uh, was, uh, you know, a, a really great uh, basketball player um, and just kind of was drug around to every one of his games. And, and um, I just started to, to fall in love with with sports myself and um and ultimately fell in love with uh my my two sports that played you know throughout um certainly throughout high school and then um you know would love to have continued with and i can kind of get to that's kind of the lead up to to the next part of it was um with soccer and basketball were my two my two sports um and and really you know did dedicate honestly probably that was my focus probably beyond academics even it was probably that and and uh no that was it probably and uh so that that was early early part of my my journey and but um in high school a couple things happened one is uh was that our my high school uh coach for basketball had us do clinics on saturday mornings for the younger kids in the in the school district um and so all of a sudden i kind of realized wow i kind i like coaching so that was big and another thing that he did was he actually gave us a, a handout from a you know from a magazine on using visualization um and i had never really heard of or experienced any kind of sports psychology stuff prior to that and found it fascinating um so i i would say that those two pieces really were the start of me thinking about you know like this is really interesting and i would like to do both of these things potentially and then the other piece was is that um in the meantime my back started to get really bad and uh i probably started uh i probably injured it way worse than i believed i injured it and um and ended up herniating uh, two discs in my back which then required surgery by the age of 22 so it really sidelined me but what i didn't realize then was how much it started to impact my um a it was tough got tough to play i mean i was playing in pain non-stop basically but the other part of it is what chronic pain does to you uh you really start to kind of live with it, but not realize that it's it's actually taking away energy and focus and happiness and everything when you're in that kind of pain and you don't realize that you don't necessarily have to be. So I think all those things together were the beginning of this journey. But And then um, ultimately I did end up coaching after college for a little bit um, and decided that that's really what I wanted to do. Uh, so I decided, Hey, I'm going to be a high school coach, um, and a teacher, uh, but then realized there was no subject that I wanted to teach. What I wanted to teach, I think was basically life through sport. Uh, so I ended up getting my master's in counseling, uh, and I became a school counselor and, uh, and a coach. And, and that was definitely the, the beginning of the trajectory toward, towards this. I was on the uh, the school counselor path, uh, so so I don't know if I've told this uh, story to many people, Stu. But um, yeah, I <laughs> my my family uh, at the time, my mom and dad, um, they they wanted to shake me, uh, and, and and I'll explain why. Uh, so I entered into a, a school counseling program at a uh, local university here in the Pittsburgh area. Fantastic program, and I loved everything we talked about. Uh, you know, in classes and in sort of our, um, you know, our training with uh, our, our interviews and our taping ourselves and videotaping ourselves and whatnot. And then it came to my practicum and I had to go out and I had to work with middle school students. <laughs> Stu, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my parents thought I was crazy at the time. Um, so I was, how old was I? I was probably 22, 23 at the time. 
uh, and I'm 37 now. So uh, hopefully a little bit of wisdom has kicked in and uh, parenthood and, and life experiences have taken over. But um, yeah, I, so I actually walked away uh, from that program and kind of put it on hold and I've never gone back to it. And um, I, I really like what you said about the, you know, teaching students about life and or, you know, clients about life and that, um, you know, maybe struggling to find that subject area. So, uh, you know, history, math, science, whatever, but those sort of, I don't know if I'd call them intangible things, but sort of those things that are so critical to life, but yet there may or, you know, may or may not be a class where students could take them, but yet they're vital to their success as a human being. So, um, yeah, John, jump in. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's an amazing time because Jason and I talk about the resources available in the digital age and performance coaching and sports psychology, um, I think is a very popular and emerging subject with a lot of coaches. But I know quite a few coaches who only look at like the performance aspects. So I guess one of the questions that I have is, you know, when you look at the profile of coaches within a, a system or a program, you have your strength and conditioning coaches, you have your your counselors and your academic coaches, and you have your your um, you know your your sport coaches. Where do you see your role in, in fitting into that body of work or scope of what an athlete? is as both a player and as a person because i know that it's very easy to silo certain things but there's got to be some carryover between you know a motivated student might be a motivated athlete or or all the gamut of the puzzle does that make sense it it does i mean it, i can answer this from a really super kind of like probably you know textbook way which i'll start with but i'll use that as like almost the framework for it so the four pillars of performance are the technical, tactical, physiological, and the psychological. So technical meaning fundamental, tactical, style of play, uh, you know, physiological, your strength and conditioning, hydration, nutrition, sleep, all that kind of stuff, and then the psychological. And so the the simple, if it if it's simple, it all is it all it like we should be at a place basically, especially at the you know at the at the collegiate and, and professional level that it, it's almost foolish to not have every one of those covered, which the first three are absolutely covered. And the psychological, I believe, you know, I was just talking to someone earlier today, actually an athletic director, and we were, and I just said, you know, in the decade that I've been out at this, the, the, the change in how, you know, at first how difficult it may have been to try to get in the door places and, and, and even anybody wanting it and putting the resource to it to like now where, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely more prevalent, put it that way. Um, so the, the easy part is that's how, like, that would be how the, they fall and, and they should, and they, sh and, and they should work together. I'm very fortunate. All the places that I work, I'm extremely lucky. Um, the coaching staffs have been great. The, you know, the, the, uh, strength and conditioning coaches have always been like way into it. So they're, you know, they're, they're on board. Um, you know, uh, I've just been lucky that all the places that I'm fortunate to work, uh, are, are pretty integrated and interested. So it, it's not been hard to, to do that, but from a totally practical, from a more like, where do I see it now? I say all the time to the, to the teams that I work with, you know, my job is to be a performance psychologist. So that is to em enhance your performance. But I always say to them that if I only ever make you a better athlete uh, or perform better in your sport that I've failed you because every piece of this should make you um, or at least give you a skills to use in every facet of life, um, whether it be your academics, whether it be, you know, a job someday, whether it be, you know, trying to raise a family. Um, there's, there's no part of our life that isn't truly we have to perform in. So, so the skills that I'm teaching, I hope are actually life-based as much as just purely, you know, really small for your sport. 
Yeah, my next question was going to be the uh, the person versus the player scenario where I think so many players, myself included, grew up where coaches were only interested in the soccer aspect or the athletic aspect. And whether you had confidence issues or discipline issues or uh, leadership or lack thereof of, of those things, um, it really didn't seem it was like it was their role to help fashion that and and maybe it wasn't and i think today's athlete is so much better equipped to at least have that conversation if that makes any sense because so often in sport we only care about the 90 minutes or the four quarters or or what yeah. have you and that's all we'll never sees and that's where we're kind of assessed on and i think there's so much more to it and there definitely is so can you speak to that a little bit for sure um yeah i mean it first of all I think part of that is, you know, I, I think there has been a little bit of a change where where coaches are just much more, whether it be just because we're in an information world that we were never in before, but I think that that there just wasn't training. So if like I'm not trained in something, that's not my area to to deal with. Is I think was at least a part of it. I think that coaches now more than ever realize like yeah, you know, we better be at least, at least have read a good book on it or, or something, you know, like at least something I should know here. But, you know, I, I have just this massive, massive belief. So first of all, for me personally, my approach is always person first, because we are, you know, our sport is a part of us. It's not, it is not us. So, so to do it any other way doesn't make sense. Um, and 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 the but the other part of it is is from an effectiveness standpoint um you know i i don't know if you guys caught this in in the ncaa tournament right now you know march madness is going on so it's obviously like the forefront of 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 the sports page and tom Izzo, the head coach of michigan state kind of had a moment where he really went after one of his players and 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 the the sports world created a binary choice he's either a great old school coach and that kid needed that from him or he's crazy and abusive <laughs> and those are the only two choices right and if the kid couldn't handle that that's because he's soft not because that maybe just didn't work like like that didn't work for him and and so those are like, to me, it's not binary. It's not just two choices here. And, and here's the reality is that that can work. But the reason it can work is because, and Tom Izzo is known to be this, is a guy that creates deep, strong, trusting relationships with his players. So in a moment like that, when he really goes after them, it's a guy that has already invested and created a relationship. That's the person, right? That, like he's created something that says, I, I care enough about you that if I really see you letting yourself down, I'm gonna hold you accountable and I might be a little bit fiery about it, but you know that I actually care about you. So he can get away with it. If some other coach did that, that hasn't developed that reputation, who hasn't developed the, the, the relationship and the trust that he has, that's not potentially going to work. So it's it's actually irrelevant the the style per se. Um, now I don't suggest that with any like you know U10 team like that doesn't you know like you, we have to be able to regulate where where we're going to use that. But at that level, a coach can certainly go after a player. Um, but but the relationship better be the thing that's holding it together. And I use the example I have a. You know, I have a teenage son and uh, for the most part, that's not going to be the way I parent. Um, and and I put in a ton of deposits of, you know, he, he knows how I feel about him. But in the moments where he's completely let me down, if I choose to really kind of lay into him a little bit, uh, he he can handle it because he knows the relation. Like he knows dad's mad because he loves me, not mad because whatever. And 
we miss that point over and over again. And that should be the nuance and the gray area that's really being discussed, not whether this generation is soft and that's why people are complaining and or, wow, what a great coaching method. Like, no, that's not a great coaching method if you haven't done X, Y, and Z. But none of, no coaching methods, honestly, are that great unless you've created that connection anyways. So that's really what's behind it. So I completely agree with you with that concept of person first rather than just a number on a jersey. I love what uh, coaches have said. I think it was in the the post-game presser uh, when he was talking about that moment, Stu, where he said something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, that um, you know we all hugged it out at halftime and <laughs> yeah. You know, something along those lines. And, uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, poke, poke some fun at it. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, obviously he's had tremendous success as a, as a college basketball coach. And the, I, the interesting thing that I saw in, in very telling of, uh, of social media in today's world, it was very black and white. Uh, it's exactly how you described it. So, you know, there was a group of coaches that, I'm connected with on, on Twitter and other, you know, platforms that were, you know, calling for Tom Izzo's head. Uh, right. There were, there are another group of coaches that basically said, no, he, he's doing the right thing. You know, you have to, uh, you know, dig a little bit deeper here. There wasn't much in the middle. Um, and I, you know, I had this me- mental tug of war going, do I like chime in on this? Do I not chime in on this right. or whatever? I think it's everything you said about trust. And so, a slight pivot, but maybe not too much of a pivot. Um, you know, I was was doing some prep for our, our conversation, and yeah. you know, awareness or self awareness is definitely something that uh, was a theme that I noticed in you know um, messages you've put out on social media, some of the videos I saw, you know, that sort of thing. And how do you get an athlete? And I guess it doesn't really matter the sport to really develop self-awareness or start to understand themselves and look inward, um, you know, maybe for some of those answers. You know, a lot of, of my job is, is to become somewhat of a mirror, um, to be able to kind of hold up a, a mirror and just kind of have individuals talk through you know, like this essentially is what you're saying. Am I correct? And so without forcing them to go in any one direction and being able to like, I'm not going to force you to do this, but I am going to ask you about this and let them go and and let them, you know, uh, try to answer it. And, and at some points, you know, be able to say, well, I'm not telling you right or wrong, but I'm telling you how that would, like how that would push my button, you know? And, and, and having them be able to like, man, I got to like self-reflect a little bit here. And, you know, if, if you definitely, if you, as you go through my social media, there's, there's a, a bunch of stuff on, on judgment. Um, meaning, you know, a, we're as human beings, we're pretty self-judgmental as in we're pretty self-critical athletes in particular, by and large, if I ask a room of athletes who's the most critical of you, uh, coach, parent, teammates, whatever, like overwhelming percentage, 80 to 90% say I'm the most critical of me. So, you know, so by nature, we're pretty self-critical. And then the other part is believing or hearing. So either people are judging you because you are an athlete. So there are times where you're gonna hear the judgment or just thinking people are gonna be judging you. And so one of the things that I try to do is get out of that for them. I'm not judging. I'm not telling you you are right or wrong. I'm not labeling you, but I am asking you to to look at this and decide whether you think this is helping you, whether you think it's helping your team. And so that's a process, but it is a process. It can take time. And again, you know, funny part is it all comes down to at first I need to establish myself as somebody that they're willing to to go through this with, just to have those conversations with. and you know, the age group that I work with, um, you know, in some ways it's a pretty selfish, not, not by any fault of their own, just developmentally, that's, it's a relatively selfish, meaning 
life is about you as a, as a kid, for the most part, you're not raising a family. You don't have to put your needs aside for, for others that often. Uh, so, so they don't have a million opportunities to really self-reflect and decide like, you know, is this the person I want to be? Is this, is this helpful for me? Is it helpful for others? So it's all part of the process, but if I don't create an environment where they trust that it's uh, like this is a conversation that we can have, then it's 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 not going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's uh, something that you've said, uh, you know, in your your professional life that I, I really liked, uh, and, and something along the lines of you know getting punched in the face, right? And not literally, but the equivalent of that, and uh, you know. I think the follow-up question that I saw in the one video that I watched was, you know, what do I say? And whether that's the story we tell ourselves uh, as human beings and as athletes. um, And I guess I'm curious about adversity and, you know, that getting punched in the mouth is, uh, you know, probably touching on adversity and how, you know, in your professional experience, um, knowing that athletes have changed their wants, their needs, their, you know, uh, what they need to be successful has probably evolved and changed. And I'm curious what that looks like now for you, sort of with the modern, you know, in the case, since this is a soccer podcast, you know, mm-hmm. a modern soccer player. I think the, the, the environment for what kids are being trained at, at this point, uh, in the soccer world, um, is like, we're, it's funny because there's times where, you know, the the men's national team's on right now. So I was, you know, watching that prior and, you know, I was just thinking like, there was a time where I watched our national team play and they were basically just college players. You know, they had very, very little professional experience. Now these guys are all you know, pros, pros for years, some playing in Bundesliga, some in Premier League, you know, they, they're, you know, and then just at least MLS. And, and so the training is through the roof uh, compared to what it was. And so, you know, while, while we can say we're like, wow, we didn't qualify for the last World Cup. Um, the reality is it's because everything's gotten better and better. So to keep, even to keep up, but we're certainly a better soccer nation than, than we were like the training is better. The players that we're turning out are better than, than ever before. But the information is, is that, that athletes have access to at this point is through is through the roof. So I do agree with you that the athlete has changed. There was a time where it was like, as a coach, you're going to just say, and they're going to do, and they've changed. And they, they're, they are probably smarter or at least more, um, they know what's out there. So if you're not bringing all of it, uh, it, it may seem or feel like, uh, they're not getting everything. But at the same time, they're also exposed to a lot more criticism or a lot more comparison than ever before as well. So the adversity is potentially high. They can feel it at a higher at a higher rate, I think, than ever before. Like if you messed up, you know, let's say when I was coming up and playing, it, you know, the newspaper the next day was literally pretty much the only way. That, and then it was over and it was on to the next. But now it's nonstop. It's as soon as the game. In fact, it's as the game's going on, the criticism is, is beginning to happen. And so it's a different it is a different world. And we and, you know, I actually have no issue with the modern athlete at all. Like, can I say that it's changed? Absolutely. But like, so is everything has changed. And so we just have to keep up with it knowledge wise. And, and one of the pieces of that, um, that I think is great change if for me is that a coaches and B the players themselves are realizing, you know, I better get my mind right because there is adversity and they're exposed to things. Now they're seeing things. I just spoke at Massachusetts ODP, uh, male, uh, boys and girls, uh, two weekends ago. Uh, that's not unusual for me to do that. Um, I worked with, um, my son's DA, uh, program and, and, uh, their ECNL teams, uh, earlier that, you know, actually at the beginning of the fall season. Um, 
the, these are things that were not happening five, 10 years ago. Like, and so there is a change going back to the four pillars of performance. I think coaching has become much more understood to be an art and a science. There is science behind some of these things. And that we, as the, the older generation, we are exposed to more. We have the opportunity to, to have more knowledge than ever before. And so we should be taking advantage of it and being as good as we can be. And I do think that young athletes right now have a little bit like they can judge us back better than than probably I'm not going to speak for you guys because I'm a little bit older than you guys. But like it was hard for a young person to judge a coach back. It was kind of like, well, they're the that they know we don't now they can check it out and be like, well, you don't actually know what you're talking about right here is, you know, and and it's it's right in front of them. And so I, in a great way, I think it's pushed all of us to have to be at our very best. Like we we need to know what we're talking about in every facet or, or they can, you know, they can call us out on it a little bit. So it creates some accountability going going both ways. When I first started to coach, um, my mentor of mine told me it's not what you say, it's what they hear, which is a very common thing. Yeah. Um, and it helped me as a 22-year-old figure out real quick about delivering a message. And I've talked about this quite a bit in my writing as well. And another thing is several years down the road, I heard another phrase, which is don't coach them the way you were coached or be careful with coaching them the way you were coached. And I think that kind of speaks to the themes that you and Jason are hitting on. One question that I, I do have that I think is really salient to this uh, topic is because they're so involved, they're so aware, there's so many resources and there's so much they can, I wouldn't say fact check, but they can really vet. How do you help an athlete analyze a performance and not get consumed by a performance? A lot of it is retroactive game film in their head. And then you said it's, it's on social media, it's their parents in the car ride home, it's the kitchen table coaching session, it's the their friends that it, it's the um, watching their peers assess pro players as if they were like bums on uh, the park, you know, like, Oh, that guy's terrible. It's like, well, he's not terrible. Yeah. You're, you're, right. 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 But, um, or he could be there. Right. But um, I, I, I feel like athletes and I was one of them who I was just get consumed by a performance. I wouldn't analyze it. I'd like, <laughs> it's like a loop. And I think this is kind of a mental health discussion as well, but I think there's something to that. Right. So a lot of what I do is on that. So a lot of, I mean, really the, if, if I was going to do this guy, I was like, what's the core of what you do? It's actually training on that. Um, and so real quick, I won't go crazy deep into this, but the, but essentially the, the reason that you would put it on a loop is because the brain is designed to pick up on danger more than anything, right? Because our brain's greatest function is survival. And so the, the, the primitive form of us was if something's dangerous, I need to pay deep attention to that or it, or I could die. Right. And, and it's so hardwired into us that we can't, we can't stop it really. Like it, it is what it is. It's right here. It's, it's, it's going to be faster than, than logical thought. And it should be faster than logical thought. So the good and the bad is that that's a, you know, it's a part of us. It's helped us stay alive. It's what's made us resilient, blah, 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 all these different things. The downside of it is, is that when we have a bad performance, our brain still registers that as danger because danger is what if I'm not in the starting 11 next time, right? What if, uh, my playing time goes dramatically down because of this. So, so it registers as danger. So what you were going through was simply what the brain is designed to do. So my job is to teach players how to, so if you ever hear the, the phrase play present or be in the moment or focus on the now, like all those things are catchphrases, they're becoming more popular, they're correct. What they are, though, is extremely hard. The brain's not designed to stay present. It's always scanning for either the last danger, so get better at it, or the next potential danger, prevent it from happening. So 
the brain's not designed to get present. So when 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 people are over, players are over consumed by their last performance. Um, that's a problem that, but it's not an unusual problem. So one of the things as a coach is to say like, man, I was there, get it, totally. But here's what we're gonna do with it. We are gonna look at it because it's, it's relevant to evaluate. Um, but then once we evaluate it, it's, it's done. We can no longer do anything with it. It's over and what matters now and potentially even get them to answer that. And what matters now is, today's training session like that's all we have that we don't have what's going to happen next match we don't have what happened we can't go back and change anything and i don't even want to oversimplify that just because you do that doesn't mean they're going to let go of it but it's the it's our job to begin to use that vocabulary it's our job to help them think in those ways, in those terms. It's our job to normalize it by saying, man, I've been there. I know what you're doing right now. All those pieces will be part of the process of trying to help them train for how do you let go of a bad match, bad performance. I used to tell players, was it a bad game or was it a bad five minutes you milked for 90 minutes? <laughs> and I think once I totally got to that level where I could uh, deconstruct whatever happened, but kind of get them out of it, like that short-term memory, the good players just kind of keep rolling with it. And I actually probably got that from a different sport, to be honest, just like tennis play. I think it was tennis. Um, my brother-in-law's former professional tennis player. He played for Ireland's Davis cup team. And he said he found himself at that level playing horribly. Like he double fault or something. He said, next point, next point, next point. And I think that got his brain to carry over a lot of lessons outside of the court. And, and I think he might've been the one who reminded me of that phrase. And I think that really did help me as a coach, but also um, I think the players really gravitated toward, was it a whole bad game or did I just milk that five minutes? <laughs> did I let that affect me too much? So, and, and, and so for me, a lot of times what I talk to athletes about is in, in a way going in reverse of the, so five minutes that turned into 90 or, what I try to say is instead, like, so if, if that's something that you do, my job is to say, all right, so mistake or a couple bad touches or bad balls play, uh, and that may have messed you up for an entire half, let's say. That happened in the first five minutes and you were a mess the rest of the half. Can I get that down to 20 minutes? And then can we keep working at it? Can I get it down to 10 minutes? And then can I get it down to five minutes? And our job is to to slowly but surely be able to get into recovery, basically, uh, get back to present. And, um, and, and that's how it's probably going to work. And, and, you know, I, there's a, there's a weird piece for me because, you know, part of me wants to say, Hey, I'm going to solve all problems. And, but the reality is, is that I, I really like want to make clear working on the skill of the mind is as hard, if not harder than any other skill that you have in any sport that you play. So if you're not willing to put in the time, if you think I'm going to give you a hack for getting better at it, that's there. It's, it's, it's not there. It, it takes the same amount of work as it did to get uh, talented or skillful in, in whatever sport it is that you play. I've had a uh, an almost identical conversation with uh, with friends and colleagues too. That um, you know, people have asked about working with a, a therapist, and you know, similar, I guess, but probably a little bit different than a sports psychologist. But generally speaking, mm -hmm. in the same ballpark, yep. and that um, it's exactly one hundred percent what you said. That it, if I go to a session and I am willing to put the work in, I have reaped the benefit of it, and that is no different than you know, if I'm going to the gym today or if I'm uh, going to a training session with my players and I'm not, you know, if I, if I put maximum effort into it, I will see the gains from that over the course of time. There isn't. So I think one thing, you know, I don't like to, I guess, speak in generalities, but you know, the, the world we live in right now, it makes it really easy to get instant gratification, <laughs> really, yeah. easy. Uh, you know, a, a, anything. I mean, it could be, I mean, goodness, I mean, you know, any smartphone is going to give you instant gratification probably, um, mm -hmm. you know, just from social media or whatever. Um, 
so I, knowing that, um, I, I guess the question I would ask would be, how do you get an athlete to understand that, you know, two things can be true at the same time, that, you know, that instant gratification is something that we're very much accustomed to right now, but also, you know, hitting the pause button when you need to is also can be true at the same time, right? Yeah, that instant gratification piece, though, is I will say it. I mean, it's funny because it is a theme that came up this week a number of times uh, for me. And, um, you know, it it is it's a hard one. It, it's it's the breaking of habit. Most of the time, the bad habits that we have, we have because for whatever reason, they have they they were originally formed as an instant gratification. Um, and 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 to break them and and that includes mental habits because really that's what we do we have mental patterns of, you know we play a bad ball bang there's a very specific thought that comes it's not it's not different every time it's it's going to be pretty much the same each time that we have a bad touch bad ball that we play um the intensity might be different but that thought is probably relatively the same and so it's a pattern it's a habit and, and that actually takes much longer. We don't have that immediate gratification. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's a, a hack uh, to answer that, the question. It's, it's, it's really a, the, the best thing I can say is, is pain is an unbelievable motivator. And if what's going on in your life is not what you want, so if it's whether it's your life or your sport or your job and it's not what you want and it's getting to the point where it's creating such, you know, a pain, discomfort, whatever. Um, that's typically when people say, you know what, somehow, some way I need to change. And that's typically when change comes about. Change rarely comes about in comfort. And that's just the reality. So most of the time when somebody doesn't dedicate at a high level, it's probably because the discomfort um, isn't great enough yet. Hmm. So let me, let me, and let me tack this on. Okay. So real quick, cause I get to obviously uh, to work with, you know, you know, some of the, our best uh, amateur athletes in, in, in the country. Uh, in, in given sports that I'm working in and in high school, they could have a deficit in the mental skill piece, but because of their advanced ability in the technical tactical and probably physiological, they didn't have to, they could overcome they, the, 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 the issue was there. And, and one of the things that I say to the freshmen every year when, when they're coming in is I, I say to them, listen, like, this is going to be a hard year. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 I know, I know it's college. It's going to be tough. And I'm like, no, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Like there's going to be this moment and, and they kind of hear me, but, but, but it's not, it's not until that pain truly sets in where they realize like, oh, wow, everybody here was the equivalent of me except they now have experience over me and I don't have that yet. And now all the stuff that was, was there just wasn't worked on, but, but because they could overcome it by, by just physical ability and talent before now starts to come out. And so, but it's the pain that makes it now we're going to work on it. Whereas it, it's not like it wasn't there before, but the pain just wasn't as great. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all, all three of us are, are parents and, uh, have worked with parents at different times in our, our coaching careers. And whether that be watching our own kids play or, um, you know, coaching another group of kids and interacting with parents or, or whatever it might be. And I'm curious in, in John, I, man, you said it really, really well earlier of, uh, you know, sometimes as coaches, we have this habit of replicating or repeating the behavior of coaches that we had. And I almost wonder if the same is true for parents. Um, because, you know, I, I'm sure all of us have seen sort of this continuum, right? We've seen the ones that are sort of the model citizens who behave 
the way that we would want them to behave uh, and are fantastic role models for their kids and for other kids on a team or, you know, at a match. Uh, we've seen the ones in the middle that sort of, depending on the, you know, the, the mood of the day, the, the pendulum may swing one way or another. And then we see the ones that are sort of on the other extreme of, oh my God, like, who are you and how did you get here? Um, and I, I guess I'm curious, you know, I mean, is it education for parents? Is it uh, continuous conversations between coach and parents? Is it, you know, is it that honesty piece and that trust piece? Um, is it a combination of all these things? Uh, I think it's absolutely a, um, I think it's absolutely a combination. Um, I, I wish the, and, and and so man there's so many different pieces of this because i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to first essentially defend the parent and then i'm going to say why the parent needs to under, be educated though so the defense is is that by nature our job is to protect right we that's but you know our first instinct with our kids is to protect them so if we think something is unfair if we think something's going to hurt them if we think whatever the, the our first instinct is to protect and so you know, I'm going to just essentially say that that's that's what the instinct is that that you see sometimes when when and and we get emotional about our own kids. Uh, saying that, all right. So that's the reality. Here's the truth: our kids are outrageously resilient, more resilient than we can ever picture, um, both physically and emotionally, and. If we allow them to quote unquote suffer just a little bit, meaning like, yeah, you know, that was a bad call, or yeah, that that shot was maybe a little bit cheap, or you know, or wait a second, why is you know he or she being taken out of the game, but the other one seemed to do the same thing and we're not taking them out of the game. And and but we we roll with it as the parent. Our our modeling is yes. It, it wasn't maybe fair. No, you know, I don't know. I don't, I didn't think you were any worse than the other. Like you can, you can acknowledge that it wasn't perfect and you're going to be fine. And the moment that we do that, we allow them to realize that a, that's the real world and B that they're, they are resilient, that they can handle it. If we jump in to save them, the message is they need to be saved. If we jump in to save them, if we start yelling at a referee, if we start yelling at a coach, if we start blaming others, then the message that we're unintentionally sending is that they need us to save them. And now they start to feel like, wow, somebody jump in and save me and or I need saving. So let me blame something on. And, and so, you know, so that's where the educational piece comes in. Now, in fairness, the other side of the coin is, is that sometimes, uh, you know, we, we, we also can't, I see so much on social media about coaches, essentially, it's as if coaches somehow never make mistakes. And, and so they're the only ones that know the right answer and the true answer and the, the answers to life and, and everything else. Um, and you know, they're human beings and they're, and they're, they're also going to not know or make mistakes or mad, make bad choices. And so there's nothing wrong with us as coaches acknowledging like, you know what, like I messed up. In fact, I can give you a great example. I was, a uh, uh, assistant high school coach and, and JV coach, um, uh, soccer coach. And I was new, brand new. The head coach was was actually a good good friend of mine, um, and had hired me to do the JVs and assist his team. And but I didn't know any of the players. I was new to the to the to the school and uh, didn't know any of the players. And so at tryouts, uh, one of the kids just he didn't show well, and I cut him. And you know, one of the dads who got to know me over a period of time and his kid was a good player and he, he knew the game, you know, he said, Hey, you know, you've been doing a really nice job. These kids are good. He said, but you really missed on one of these kids. Like he's a good player and you shouldn't have cut him. And 
I, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, maybe I did, um, uh, you know, but I'm telling you what I saw, like, I, I know what I watched and, and for the, for the five days that I had that I, I did my best, but that kid did end up, uh, becoming one, one of the best players at the school, uh, came back out the following year, made the team, uh, that team won a state championship. Uh, and he was definitely a major factor in that. And I remember I, I specifically, I saw him in the hallway, uh, and went up to him and just said, Hey, I just want to let you know something that it was me. I made the mistake. Like I, I was wrong. You are a good player. You were a good player. I was the one that that misevaluated. Not you did nothing wrong. And what's a big deal? Like like we may, we mess up. Like we mess up and and if we act as if we don't, there's a couple things that happens. One is is that it's hard to build trust by never acknowledging that that we're human and that we, we can mess up. And but the other part is is that then we prevent those that were teaching and mentoring of thinking that they can acknowledge like, yeah, I messed up and I take accountability. I own that. That's actually typically how we get better. And so if we want young people to do that, it should start with us having the ability, the, the uh, uh, humility to be able to say, I messed up. And I think parents appreciate that. I think players appreciate that. Um, you know, and I don't think it takes away from our, position of being the one that is still the leader of the of the group social media has a way of um, amplifying ego in many ways whether it's with the athlete or the parent who's following the athlete on twitter is a good example and uh the community of coaches uh and i've seen this in other sports as well have this very authoritative all-knowing motivating like almost like an instagram page full of like wonderful quotes like just everything is like a a spin on a spin and 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 now although i don't think there's anything wrong with that i sometimes feel that coaches are duping themselves in an effort to dupe the masses and i uh i found myself when i first joined social media wondering are these all so, uh motivational speakers or are they coaches because i found that there was this um I won't say a charade, but a, a, an almost an act, and, and there was no humility when um, you talk to these people. But then when you see them in person, or you coach against them, or you you have a conversation, um, much like this one, you realize that they're they're just people learning their their trade. Do you find that a lot of coaches are stuck in this <coughs> ego battle? And also, I guess the follow up would be: Are coaches kind of guilty of the 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 conundrum of the growth and fixed mindset scenario where they 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 think they're the growth mindset and they're they're really just kind of you know uh, projecting but they're really <laughs> not learning much and they're just kind of fronting a bit. I, I think it is definitely a massive uh, rabbit hole that we could fall into. That's for sure. Like I <laughs> I I definitely do. One of the I hope that in my social media, what comes across is that I, a couple things. One is, is that nothing I ever put on my social media will not match up with what I teach. So just because um, Michael Jordan said this doesn't actually mean that that means that it's good for you. He's an outlier. He's, he's literally a study of one. So what worked for him does not mean it is actually science-based uh, or is going to help you. So be careful of what we put because it, it unintentionally as a coach places some kids, A, in a place where they actually cannot do what he did. And by doing it that way would actually make them worse, not better. And and the the other thing is that I find and I think it's along what you're saying is that some of these quotes or or whatever that's being placed is. It makes it seem like some of these things are just like, OK, I've said it now do it. It's easy. And the reality is it's not. It's very hard. So like 
but if we as the adult, as the leader, as the coach who's supposedly all knowing, um, puts that there, it can put a, a you know a young athlete in a place of of like they're saying it as if it's easy. So I guess I it should be easy. So there must be something wrong with me because I can't do that. I can't you know the simple thing that you said before about putting the last mistake behind you. There's not a person I know, not an athlete that I know that doesn't believe that that's what they would like. Right. We all know that that's what we should do. It's not that easy to do. And and it takes work. So by us saying it as if we've just given them some, you know, brilliant piece of advice. Uh, but but yet the work hasn't been there and the repetition hasn't been there and the techniques to get there haven't been done. It's it's unlikely that they're actually going to learn the skill of doing it. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying it's 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 not typically that easy. So to get to your question, yes, I think that we we have a responsibility to make sure that if we're putting something that we acknowledge that while it might be good words of wisdom, it's not easy. Uh, it, it takes commitment or and we also need to be very wary of what we're putting, because just because so and so said it does not mean that it's going to work for you by any stretch. Stu, if, uh, if folks want to connect with you and talk about the irony of all, uh, <laughs> of, all, of all questions, right? We spent quite a bit talking about social media and the, the good, the bad, the ugly, I guess you could say. But if, uh, if folks want to learn more about you and um, the work that you're doing, uh, how can they connect with you? Um, so Twitter is uh, at WellPerformance. Uh, Instagram is WellPerformance. Um, my website is, uh, wellperformancecoach.com. And those are probably the easiest places to, to kind of reach out, uh, uh, and find, you know, what's, what's going on and, and, you know, and, and what I'm doing at the moment and, or just reach out with questions for sure. Um, and so I would, I would use those, those three. Um, and I should also say, so what, I, and I, I think I, I should have used, I should have mentioned this before when I was thinking about it. So that idea before about why do we go backwards and, and, and or why do we project out? Um, I, I actually created an app for just that purpose of training, like 10 minutes a day to learn how uh, to really work that quote unquote muscle of the brain um, to so that we don't do that. And that, that app is do so, uh, D O S O all one word. Um, it's in the app store and, and, uh, so, uh, the app do so, uh, is, um, also on Twitter. So, um, anybody can kind of look for that and look what's going on with that as well. I'd love to have you back sometimes too. And, uh, hope that, uh, at a convention or, uh, maybe a state association event or, or something like that. We have uh, the opportunity to connect in person sometime, but definitely would love to have you back on the podcast because, uh, man, there's so many uh, <laughs> rabbit holes. A lot, that we of, can... lot of ways we can go with this for sure. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I appreciate that. And uh, certainly we, we can reconnect for sure. I've included a link in the show notes to Stu's website, wellperformancecoach.com, and you can learn more about the work that he is doing with helping athletes uh, develop a strong mental uh, approach to the game. So Stu, thanks for coming on. Uh, we'd love to have you back on a future episode of the show. I mentioned every episode that you can connect with this show in a variety of ways. So subscribing to the show on your favorite platform, you will never miss an episode and was able to put out a bonus episode earlier this week. Those happen from time to time. By subscribing to the show, you will never miss an episode of the show. So whatever platform you listen on, and we are available on all the major podcasting platforms, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, um, TuneIn Radio, etc. make sure that you subscribe there. And if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, please go there now, leave a five-star rating 
and a brief review about the show. And also, last but not least, please be sure to share out the show on social media. We just broke over 10,000 listens of the show, and I can't thank you enough for listening to the show on a weekly basis. So you can connect with me on social media, and I'm available at, at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram, and would love to connect with you that way. This has been the latest episode of the On The Touchline podcast. I'll catch you guys real soon. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.